I want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series from the book of Daniel called Hope While Waiting. And today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called Worship with Conviction. I trust this message will challenge you in worship. I got a question for you. How do you know when your worship is what God wants it to be? How do you know? How do you know if you're really worshiping God the way he wants you to worship? We all have our own thoughts on what worship is. Um, How many of you think that God has some thoughts on what worship is? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Today we're going to talk about worship with conviction. And I trust by the end of today, you're going to know what it means to worship, not just adequately, but worship extraordinarily, and to worship the Lord the way he uh, has called us to worship. I also want to say this before we go to the text. I want you to note the close link between worship and our personal witness, okay? I would trust that every person here today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should have a passion equal to my passion or more uh, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, We only have a limited time here. Uh, One of the amazing things about being a Christian is that when you become a Christian, you aren't immediately raptured into the presence of God. Uh, You're here for a while. And what are we supposed to do during that time? We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to be a witness, a living example of the glory of God in everyday life. And we're going to see how to do that uh, today, even in the most challenging situations. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 says this. And King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits And its breadth was six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Um, Let's pause here. I'm just going to give you this note. God allows various crises to enter my life and test my worship. This whole image thing that's coming up that we're going to be studying today is a crisis in the making uh, for four people, three in particular we're going to read about. And this crisis is going to come head on, and they're going to have to make a decision about worship, a big decision about worship. Now, some of us are going to see this as kind of the ultimate crisis of worship, and that's true. But the reality is, every day we're having a crisis of worship. Am I going to serve Jesus Christ in my relationship with others? Am I going to lay my life down and serve God? Am I going to trust him in the big things and the little things? Worship is something, all of our life is about worship. Every crisis is a crisis of worship. The word a crisis comes from a Greek word through the Latin, which means a decision, to make a decision. And every time that we face a crisis in our lives, there's a decision being made. What are those decisions that are being made? Well, one is a decision, who am I going to serve? Another decision I'm going to make is, who am I going to trust? Another decision being made is, what will I set aside in some of my previous thinking? My previous experience before Christ tells me to do X, Um, but now I know Jesus Christ, and he tells me to do Y. What am I going to set aside? Here's the fourth thing you always face in a crisis. What am I willing to yield myself to? 
Is my life all about me and about protecting me? Or is there a point at which every day that I'm willing to yield up me for the glory of God? Now notice in the text, it says that, that the Nebuchadnezzar made a huge image of gold. The height was 60 cubits. Uh, a cubit is about 18 inches. So if it says 60, uh, it means that the height of this image was about 90 feet, and it was about nine feet wide. That is a big image. Uh, it was probably such a big image that it could be seen from Babylon. It wasn't probably placed in Babylon, but was, could be seen easily from there. And I really believe, most commentators believe, that this image that Nebuchadnezzar makes, uh, interestingly note, was it just a head of gold? It was all gold. And if you go back and do your study of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was one part of the image. He was the head of gold, and then it transitions throughout, okay? And I think Nebuchadnezzar is making a statement here, and as we go through the test, there's some historical data that comes into play, which I think even makes it stronger. Uh, he was trying to make an image to make a statement. Look at verse 2. Then it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar is sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the football officials of the provinces. Everybody was there. Wow. Uh, to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, here we go again, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, before I go any further, it's interesting. It's possible that King uh, Zedekiah was also part of this. We know from uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 51 that he made a trip to Babylon. It's very possible that he could have been in this group, uh, though probably not, but it's possible. Or he could have been the second wave that came through uh, to visit the image. Uh, then it says, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar uh, had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, there's one serious jam session going on here, eh? You are to fall down and to worship the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Notice he doesn't say, uh, we will heat the fiery furnace and then you will be thrown in. He says the, what? The burning. It is burning. You see the smoke over there? That's the fiery furnace. So this is gonna be a real quick thing, guys. Either bow or get torched. Real quick, real quick decision here. Um, some of you are really passionate about worship and I love our worship team. I love, aren't we so grateful for the people that lead us in worship every week? Praise God for that. Um, like to see how many of them could play the lyre and the trigon. Um, that word bagpipe there, very interesting word. Uh, the word bagpipe probably referring to some sort of wind instrument. Uh, it's the Aramaic word sumponia, from which comes, it's a loan word from the Greek, which is uh, symphonia. Want to guess what word that turns into in English? Symphony. So it's possible that either it's a wind instrument that's what most commentators think. Or it's possible that it's actually saying all these were done in harmony as a symphony. So it wasn't just this random, okay, every instrument we have, let's all play at one time, and there's going to be lots of music. 
uh, there was an order to it. And there was a sense of this was the grand symphony, this was the greatest city on the face of the earth at the time. They probably had a pretty nice bit of musical instruments and symphonies and order and all of that. Um, that's just an interesting side note. Then verse uh, 7, it says, Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations' languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want to talk a minute about this golden image. Uh, keep in mind that as we're discussing this, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, this, they are standing in this group. Uh, probably was a couple hundred people. Um, obviously, you could see that uh, image quite well, but it had to be, everyone had to be within a, a range of one person. They could hear uh, the herald saying, uh, this is what you're supposed to do. Welcome to worship in Babylon. This is what we do. When the music starts, you bow. Service over, done, or you get torched. That'd be such a simple worship service. I wonder how long this took. That's like a five-minute worship service, right? That's stretching it. Notice that it says golden image. I want you to turn in your Bible back a page to the text we were in yesterday to chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, at the end of verse 38, notice that after uh, Daniel describes all the different things about Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of verse 38, last six words, it says, you are the head of gold. Now clearly, Nebuchadnezzar is doing something here. He hasn't ignored what God told him. This is probably uh, somewhere in the neighborhood about eight years after this vision was given. Um, so there's about eight years between chapter two and chapter three. He takes some of what God had communicated and mixes it with his own pagan way of thinking. Okay, so he takes, he takes, and this was not an image of Nebuchadnezzar, most likely, okay? This was an image that was communicating worship. It was probably focused on Marduk, which was his primary god, okay? And so whatever that image, it could have been a huge, like, pillar column, and then the image on top of that, we don't know exactly. But what he was doing, Nebuchadnezzar was mixing worship of the living God with his own corrupt paganism. One of the great dangers in the Christian church, uh, in our own worship, is when we take what God has given in his word or communication from God, and we mix that with our own ways of doing things or other religious practices or worship of me, worship of God, worship of me. Let's just put that all together and I'll just kind of make my own religion. That's not Christianity, okay? And every one of us, we're like, well, I would never do that. Um, every Christian does. In our own little ways, we try to bring God into my world and kind of make God a part of my way of living instead of me taking, this is what we do on Sunday mornings. We should be taking our lives and saying, God, how am I not matching if I want to be worshiping you the way you call me to worship? That's what real worship is. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church in Columbus. You know, I pray that as you listen to Meeting with God daily, you are growing in your passion to follow Jesus Christ. But you know, following Jesus is more than just listening to sermons. It's about serving Him with our gifts and abilities. Hey, can I encourage you to think about what would be the next step of faith in serving Christ in your church or your community? And you know, if you don't have a church, let me invite you to visit our church family at 1290 Old Henderson Road in Columbus. Really what, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing here is he was mixing the truth of God 
and his own paganism, and really that results in not half idolatry, it's corrupt idolatry. Notice also that it was the plain of Dura. It was probably within sight of Babylon. A lot of people have asked the question, where's Daniel in all this? Like if Daniel was like the second in command, like why isn't he out here? Was he bowing? Uh, clearly Daniel was not bowing. I think we can all agree on that. It's very possible that in order to go out to this area that the king was obviously present for this service, Daniel could have been in the palace itself kind of overseeing Babylon while the king was not present. There's a lot of different ideas on why that happened. Now, I want to get a little bit of a sense of why did this happen and when did this happen. I believe the best explanation is that this happened uh, this whole event happened in probably 594 or 593. Uh, we learn uh, through scripture and through other uh, documents that there was an uprising uh, within Babylon. One of the leaders in Babylon tried to uh, basically create a civil war and take over, assassinate Nebuchadnezzar and take over the country. We have a document, I was reading it yesterday, where it says that literally Nebuchadnezzar had to kill many in his own army and was personally involved in getting rid of the, whoever the perpetrator was. Why don't you throw up the uh, a timeline here? We can all kind of look at this together. Right in this time now that we're talking about, 594-93 was right around the time that Jeremiah chapter 29-11 was written. Because what happened was there was a massive, there was this big uprising within the Babylonian area, including a lot of the army and officials and what it did is all the Israelites, all the other nations thought, uh-oh, they're going to have civil war. And what are you thinking if you're a vassal? Freedom, baby, freedom. We're going to have a chance. If they collapse and go in, we can, we can strike it out on our own. And uh, Jeremiah talks a bit about that as well. But here's the thing. After all this had been settled, this is most likely when Nebuchadnezzar set up this image and in their practices in Babylon, it's, it's called kind of a loyalty oath event where he would bring all of his officials in and say, okay, uh, I've dealt with all the perpetrators. Now you all are going to worship my God and you're going to commit yourself to be a part of what he is doing. Some of us might wonder, well, what's all the urgency? Why do we have to have like the, uh, the fiery furnace all stoked? Do you understand why now it's such a big deal? He's like, if you're not going to bow... If you're not going to worship the image that I have set up, if you're not going to worship my God, I'm dealing with you just like I dealt with all the rebels. Out. And the level of urgency in, his, in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, why, why was he so urgent? What was all the big deal? Why? Well, look, look back, if you had your finger back in chapter 2, here's the other thing I think was in his head, especially why the image comes into play. Chapter 2, uh, verse 39. Right after Daniel says, you are the head of gold, what does he say right after that? Two words, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. Well, if you're the king and you're thinking I'm the gold, sometime after me or during my reign, what? Another kingdom's going to come into play or another ruler's going to come into play. And he's nervous, he's very nervous that somehow these perpetrators or some foreign invaders, the Medes, someone's going to come into play and is going to knock him off the throne. And I think that gives us a sense of why the urgency to worship. Uh, that's kind of the background. So, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're at this event, and you've had to walk or travel 
uh, how whatever distance out here to the plain of Dura, and you're standing amongst all these officials, and then you hear the words, I must bow. And I don't know how much in advance they knew. They probably knew it wasn't looking good headed out here. But now they have to make a decision. And uh, some of us, we've been in places where we have to decide whether we're going to worship me or play along in a situation or whether I'm going to worship God and God alone. I'm guessing they they weren't the type to compromise, clearly. So I don't think it was a very hard decision for them. I think they were like, we're not bowing. We're not bowing. I think some of us, if we were there, would have been tempted to say, well, you know, the image was brought from God. And uh, and keep in mind, we were praying that whole night that Daniel got that vision. Clearly, clearly, this was something from God. You know, maybe we should just just bow quick. I mean, God, see, we'll just apologize. You know, we'll just confess in a couple weeks and it'll be, you know, I'm, I'm sure God won't hold it against us forever. I mean, just, just bow quick and get up real quick. I mean, be the first one up, you know, and just to kind of communicate that I'm sort of in this, but I'm not real. Maybe I'll cross my fingers while I go down, you know, whatever it takes. Cause I, you know, I, I clearly don't want to, you know, I want my worship to Yahweh to know that my worship is to him alone, but it's not how worship works, is it? I'm going to give you four crises of worship. First is the crisis of corruption. Will I worship with exclusivity? Will I worship God and him alone? Exclusivity in my worship is basically, um, will my worship be God alone or will it be God plus something? That's a decision we have to make every day. Will my worship be about me and God? I only worship him and him alone or will I allow my worship to be mixed with other things that makes me feel better or makes my job work better or makes my family work, I think, better um, but meets my needs and gets me out of jams? Biblical worship has nothing to do with mixing or combining in any way. Worship is to be to God alone. I have my little Bible app. I typed in in the search engine, gold and worship, just to see how many verses both of them show up in. You could do this. It's very easy. Um, Ten verses show up in five books of the Bible. One in Exodus, where it's talking about the golden calf. Remember that? Golden calf and people worshiping. Another one comes in Isaiah, where it has two references. Both are negative. Then it also comes up in Revelation, where it also talks about a negative thing that the people would not repent. They just kept worshiping gold and silver and all these other things. All three of those are negative. The other two books where verses show up are one, Daniel chapter three. That's where half the verses are. And the last one is in Matthew chapter two, where the descendants of the people being mentioned right here come all the way to Bethlehem and offer up gold, frankincense, and myrrh as a form of worship to Jesus Christ. It's interesting how our worship and our witness leads to others come to know the living God. It's interesting how those uh, come together. You might wonder, well, hey, does my witness uh, through my worship matter? And I'm not just talking about your singing. If you're like me, you don't have a great singing voice, you're like, listen, no one's come to know Jesus through my singing. You know, um, really, again, though, worship is about everything I do. 
And as people are observing how I worship the living God day in and day out on Monday at, you know, 7.15 in the morning, on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock when I'm out of gas and could just put it on cruise control, on Saturday night, on, and of course on Sunday morning too. All of that is a reflection. Absolutely, uh, my worship matters in my witness. Notice verse 8. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Uh, the, the words there in the Aramaic communicate a sense of hostility, hatred, bitterness. Uh, those kids that you put up eight years ago, we're sick of them. Don't like them with love, love to get rid of them. Verse 9, and they declared to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the, do we have to do this again? Of the horn, pipe, lyre, trig, and harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and, there's the word we're looking for again, worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, a little side note here, if you want to highlight a verse that talks about worship, it's amazing how, um, quote, unquote, the bad guys understand what worship is. Right here in the text. They're like, they are telling us, they have three of the four things about worship that we're going to discuss in the text today. Nebuchadnezzar is going to hit one more. But it's interesting how those observing can often pick out in Christians what's missing or what's there. Uh, some, some of our best critics that can honestly help us grow in our own worship the most are people that don't worship God at all. Because they have, they have a sense of hypocrisy. Well, you know, sometimes Christians will let it slide a little bit. Your buddies are like, eh, it's okay. You know, you're doing the best you can. Uh, uh, those who hate Jesus Christ, they're not given grace. They're telling you exactly where you're a hypocrite or exactly where you don't line up the way you should. Notice what they say here. They say, these men said, they pay no attention to you. They don't listen to you. They're not committed to you. They didn't follow your command. It's the first thing. Second thing, they do not serve your gods. And third, or worship the golden image that you have set up. They don't serve your gods. They don't worship like you. And by the way, they won't follow your direction. They're not willing to set aside whatever you said. Verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar was in a furious rage. Uh, this dude has an anger problem. I don't know if you noticed that. seems like every time he's coming up, he's always ticked off about something. He was in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, notice he didn't give them a chance to answer. You ever had one of those conversations where they're just like, by the way, did you do this? And by the way, I'm just going to get right to the point. He doesn't even give them a chance to respond. Just, uh, by the way, because I'm so gracious and a king, though I am very ticked off right now, I'm just going to answer my own question. Without making you actually say something, I'm going to be so gracious, I'm actually going to give you a second chance. Verse 15. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship 
you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And here's one of the greatest statements in all of Daniel. And who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar is challenging Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to compromise. I want you to jot this in your notes. This is a crisis of compromise. Will I worship with courage? Really, subtly or not so subtly, Nebuchadnezzar is not just challenging them. The person he's really challenging is who? He's challenging God. He's saying, you know what? If you don't bow down and worship this image, which is probably completely devoted to Marduk, if you don't get on my program, um, you're going to get torched. And here's the thing. I don't care who your God is. He may be a revealer of mysteries. I get that. But I just want to remind you, my God is the one that's ruling the world right now. And what God ever has delivered out of the fire? Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.